Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Line. I am Annie Friday, and I am joined once again by a special guest co-host, LaToya Nelson. Hi, LaToya. Hi. Um, So LaToya has come on quite a few times. If you don't know LaToya, find her work at the Attuned Community or on Instagram at raising underscore underscore resilience. We talk a lot about centering humanity in education, um, centering relationships. Latoya has also talked about her concept of um, treating the kids you work with like they're your own kids and how it might actually humanize them more. It might actually help you value them more. Um, Latoya is actually working on a dissertation right now towards an ed D and it is an exciting topic because it's on those same lines. And so I asked Latoya if she'd be willing to share some of that with us because it's it's really, I don't know, it shouldn't be, but it, it's very cutting edge work, I feel like, in the world of education right now. So I'll stop talking so you can get into it, Latoya. You're the expert. Share with us. What's your, what's your dissertation on? So my dissertation, I am studying essentially um, replacing um, SEL curriculum in schools with the concept of other mothering. Um, and if you're not quite sure what other mothering is, um, it's the concept of, and it's primarily been in urban schools um, in a lot of African-American communities. And it goes back historically to um, in the enslavement era, where a lot of children were taken away from their biological families and placed um, on other plantations. And so they were essentially with other mothers. Um, and that whole concept of the village, the community. So when these children are coming um, into a school or into the classroom, you then take on that role of nurturing, of loving, of caring for and educating that student. And I know teachers are probably like, what in the heck? You want me to do one more thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like for me, um, it was so innate. Um, you know, when I see a child, I love a child regardless to what else you know whatever else they may have going on um it's mm -hmm. just like oh you haven't been here that long let me kind of help you um and so that's essentially um what it is is playing that integral role of the psychological and educational needs of children um within that in that school um setting and so um well and there, there might be a few listeners um not to interrupt sorry uh who don't know what SEL is. There might be more parent side of listeners. Will you explain that? So SEL in schools is social emotional curriculum, and it's kind of the goal to teach explicit, explicitly teach um, versus assuming that children have the skills to cope with emotions or are able to identify emotions um, that you explicitly teach those skills. Um, and so other mothering um 
as a parent, and I recognize that not every parent has the same capacity. Um, so, and I think we just talked about that previously, that not every adult can identify emotions or knows mm-hmm. how to cope with emotions, but um, you know, could use a little SEL. Yes. <laughs> So essentially you take on that role, um, to kind of teach those, those skills, but this concept is, um, essentially instead of building a a 15 minute time slot, um, into your day and paying billions of dollars for curriculum, you just do some of those things (laughs) to hold up like flashcards of a kid smiling and you say, happy. And not all SEL is created equal and there's some good stuff out there. And my guess is that you are not saying (laughs) that the social emotional component needs to be removed. It just needs to be a little bit more organic and natural. Essentially, that's exactly what I am looking to study. How can it become like an innate, innate part of the day, not a 15 minute time slot where people are rushing through like, what card is this? What card is this? What would you do in this situation? What would you do? (laughs) Something that is like, you know, when I am in the moment, you know, when I'm here in the school building with my learners um, throughout the day, there are tons of incidents that arise, you know, when we might be reading and something is hard and I might say, let's, let's identify that emotion that you're feeling right now. Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling frustrated? Do you not have the words? Would you like me to help you find them? Do you need space? What is it that you need? Some of that co-regulating. Yeah, I think we often like as adults, I I think as adults, we often try to get kids to self-regulate before they've ever co-regulated. Absolutely. And, and even, you know, I talk a lot about in my, in my dissertation about this idea of self-regulating, but really none of us self-regulate. We all are reliant on someone or Mm -hmm. something to co-regulate with that. That's the reality of it all um, is that no one can just self-regulate, you know, it's nice to take a deep breath. Yes. But sometimes I still might want to hug. It's nice to go for a walk, but yes, sometimes I still may want to tell you about how I was feeling in that moment. And it is okay to co-regulate and it is okay um, for children to co-regulate. And so I talk a lot about that in my work and I talk a lot about just this relationship with school where there's a lot of rules about not hugging and not touching and just, you know, kind of keeping that distance and how it's unprofessional. Um, but (laughs) you know, but the reality is, is that when children feel love, they can thrive and they do thrive. Even the ones that tear your classroom up, (laughs) you know, they, they can. And I'm not saying that it solves everything because I know how people get, you know, it's like a blanket statement, but there are so many nuances that go in, you know, go into that. Um, But we, we can do a lot of things because honestly, Sometimes when I was in some of those big moments that I experienced in public school, I, I would say to myself, I know my child, you know, and her story is hers to share, but I know my child. 
how would I want an adult to respond to mm-hmm. her right now? Mm-hmm. What would she need from me in this moment? She doesn't need me to call the police. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need me to call the SRO. She doesn't need me to call the dean. What would my child need from me in this moment to help get her to a space where she could be functional in this moment, where she could still be safe, where the other children can still be safe? What would she need from me? How can I quickly de-escalate this so that everyone feels safe, comfortable, and protected? And so I talk a lot about that um, in my work. And it's still in its early phases and it's kicking my butt, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it's kicking my butt because a lot of the work that is out there is centered in higher education. Um, And if you uh, do a little, just a quick Google search, even even, it will come up with like African-American women in higher education talking about how a lot of college professors on HBCU campuses. And for those who are listening that may not know what a HBCU is, it's a historically black college and university. Um, They were founded when uh, black learners had nowhere else to go. That, that is where they went. And so it talks about how a lot of times that displacement in education coming from these schools, when schools were desegregated, but black learners still were not wanted there, you know, and they transition into these HBCUs, how these women professors, because we know that education is a woman dominant field, um, just loved on them to help them acclimate mm-hmm. um, and get adjusted to that higher education and guided them because a lot of times they are first generation college students. And so they don't know what steps to take. How do I do financial aid? How do I do housing this? But the, they had that other mother to support and to guide them through those processes. Mm. So we're looking at that, but in an elementary um, kind of setting. Um, and I'm hoping to look at some middle schools because middle school is the forgotten mm. <laughs> forgotten era, but it is the most need for support <laughs> um, and, and looking at those levels. Um, well, and, and you're I- using words like I, the words you're using that are jumping out at me are like support, guidance care, right? Like these are words that somehow have become disassociated with education, especially like, you know, I'm in the, I have been in the field of early childhood education. We want to call it right. Because we want it. We call it preschool. We call it, you know, developmental kindergarten, what all these words that, that are all about, like put the emphasis on the learning and the education, and there are great people out there, Carol Garbode and Murray being one of them in the early childhood force, like care has to be essential. You can't learn unless you feel seen and cared for. And so care is not a dirty word. Early childhood care, child care, we've, we've come to think of those as dirty. We want to make it education. We want to mm-hmm. make it academic, but putting mm-hmm. the guidance, the support, the care back into a classroom might actually like give the kids that social emotional fulfillment that they're looking for or needing whether they not know they're looking for it or not in order to continue learning or further learning absolutely I am pulling up something so that I can share just give me one second but I think 
we got away from care because like we talked about before it became about money <laughs> and not about the human but about the money and so and I, I think they feel like there's so much pressure and there's you've probably seen a ton of these on Instagram and stuff too about urgency in childhood and getting children to grow up no child left behind. Yes. Falling they're, behind. They're, and I'm I'm always like, Jesus, behind what? Like <laughs> if they're all here, if so many children are in this place, maybe they're not behind. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's our expectations that are way too much. Um, but um there's this idea that children have there's just a sense of urgency that they've got to be at a certain pace, a certain place um, by a certain time. And I think that's why everyone likes to use the word education versus care, Um, because education seems like, um, if I say education, then that seems like more sophisticated and fancy you know (laughs) like it's not care this isn't a daycare center this is a learning center (laughs) you know so and that's no shade to anyone who uses that in their name but you know it's okay to care it is okay to love Whenever I was in public school people would always say well what did you do and I'm like literally I just I I didn't do anything. I didn't. I didn't have some fancy token economy. I didn't have some fancy routine. I didn't. I didn't have any of that. I First of all, I, my brain's too all over the place for all of those things. <laughs> That's number one. Secondly, I just treated them like I did. I treated them like my kids. I bought you lunch because I love you and I care about you, not because you did something to earn mm. it. I value you. You're worthy to me. And I had it and I felt like I wanted you to feel good right now. So I did that for you. Yeah. Your existence, you know, your is worthy, like worthy of me letting you have lunch with me or you, you didn't have to earn my time, you know, there, there, and I, and I still do that. And so a lot, you know, I got a card today from one of my families and she was just like, I am so blessed that God sent you my way. You know, this is not to disrespect anyone who has different beliefs. Um, but, and I said, well, why? And she just went on and she's like, they just had so many experiences in school and we've had, I'm, you know, I get his paperwork. It's this thick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh man, what, you know, like, am I going to have, you know, I'm a small setting. I'm starting off. It's just me, you know, am I going to have the capacity and none of that. Yeah. And everyone's always asking me why, you know, even mm-hmm. when I was at public school, I would get files and IEPs and they do this and they do that. And then they get with me and I see none of those things. Yeah. Not a single one of them. Well, when we do that, we make them, we make the children themselves and their families often feel like they are the problem, mm-hmm. right? Like they are not a problem and no. maybe their behavior is challenging and it needs, you. Need, it's a signal you know, behaviors, communication, what is it telling you? What unmet needs do they have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel the same way. We've had so many families say like, 
I don't get it. Like, what are you doing differently? Because what we did is just drop the expectation, drop the pressure, drop the performance, right? Like all of those rewards-based systems are are putting so much pressure on, on kids to perform a certain way. Um, it's assuming that behavior is a choice, right? Like behavior is not a choice. Um, it's, it's usually far beyond our control, especially as young people who maybe haven't had that social emotional support organically or authentically through their life. Um, and, and even like our response when something does come up, like I think in the four years we've now done group learning in an unconventional setting, um, we've had two physical incidents and the response is what shocked the young people the most. Like, you're not going to call my mom. You're not going to send me to the principal's office. You're not going to suspend me. Like, no, like you were really pissed about something and you had a reaction and we need to kind of figure out why you had that reaction and what we can do better. And like you said, create safety for the people involved, right? Like the very first thing is like, does everyone feel safe? How can we get everyone feeling safe? Maybe not comfortable. Maybe we have to sit in the discomfort for a little while while mm-hmm. we navigate this, but you don't deserve double jeopardy. You get in trouble here at school and then you get in trouble at home for the same thing. No. Like, come on. We don't need that. Like we don't need everybody instilling guilt and shame over everything else. Um, at all. And, and that's what I tell my families, you know, I tell you things that you need to know. And I tell you, because I want to keep those things open, but there's no need for punishment. If I've already addressed the situation, we've redirected it, worked through it, then there's nothing else needed, you know? And so So tell us a little bit of the logistics of the other mothering. How do you fit that in a classroom? Like, how is it not just one more thing? So it's kind of like, you know, like you have your sisters, you have your auntie, you know, at home. And so think about it. Essentially, when they first studied this, it was at like predominantly white institutions. You have black students who don't have anyone to rec, you know, to relate to and so they might there might be a sister auntie other mother you know type of professor Mm -hmm. and they find that person and they become their informal mentor so eventually essentially every adult in the building is like an informal mentor an informal parent and as we're going throughout our day if i'm in the lunchroom and all of a sudden something pops off um then that adult steps in they say hey you know how are you feeling? Like, like you said, how are we able to work through this situation? I noticed that you might be feeling frustrated. It's not one more thing because it's things that we already do, but it's being intentional about that thing that we already do and just being cognizant of it um, so that it's not adding one more thing to your plate. It's just something that we innately do a, a lot of us anyway. Mm-hmm. Um those redirecting moments, but being intentional to not rush through them, but actually truly go through them and work through them, being intentional about connecting um, and, and bridging some of those gaps so that it doesn't feel like one more thing to do, but it feels just like going throughout your day, you know, mm-hmm. just your everyday day-to-day sort of things. Yeah. And, and side note for anybody who doesn't have the history, um, what you just mentioned about a lot of young black children in particular, not seeing themselves reflected back in their school settings, um, integrated, the integrated schools podcast has a lot of good 
background episodes, they talk about um, Plessy versus Ferguson, Brown versus Board of Education, like why that happened and how how actually integrating schools took professional Black and African-American teachers and other professionals in school settings out of the system. And it became, actually like made schools more white and, and was a detriment to many, many students. So um, that's that's a, a reference if anybody doesn't have that historical knowledge. Um, yeah, the idea of, a, of actually, like, so the, the other mother concept is putting relationships first. It, it's putting authentic, creating authentic relationships. There's been a lot of research that came out this year. I think there was a pretty hot New York Times article for a while circulating about teachers looping with students and how mm-hmm. that really... Um, boosts outcomes and part of that don't you think is just the fact that like you have to put more into a relationship if you know it's going to last more than nine months like I know when I was a teacher (laughs) who had a turnover every year I would grit my teeth and get through it with some of those kids and and also you you mentioned earlier like you see a kid you love a kid and that's such a wonderful attitude to have but I would guess that like 99.9% of adults don't have that approach. And it's because we've been conditioned. Like it's an implicit bias we have. We hate kids. We're taught to hate kids. Like how many people do you know can openly say, oh, I hate kids. And it's like, you wouldn't say that about any other group of people. That's not okay to say. Like they do. People say it all the time. They say, I, I hate kids or I hate when kids do that as if, as if. They somehow were never a child. Right. But if you're in relationship with that kid for more than a few months or nine months or even, you know, a kid who loops a year, like you have to put something you have to. It's like family, like you're you're together better for better or for worse. Like you've got to dig deeper and find connection and find some foundation for that relationship. Yep. 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 And that's essentially what it is. It's just like child rearing in in the school setting literally Mm -hmm. like raising because our children spend so much time at school they do Mm -hmm. whether we want to admit it or not the school hours exist the way they do for child care they do because they're working families and we know we have a child care crisis um, in our country so that's just the reality and so if they are going to spend so much time there How can we see ourselves not as removed? And I think that's largely where a lot of the issues come from. It's like, they're not my kids. Those are not my kids. You know, you know, my problem, not my kids, not my problem. That's not my kids. That's not my job. My job is to do this. But if I can see myself as a mother, if I can see the whole child, not just the academic piece, Mm -hmm. If I can nurture the spirit of the entire child, then I probably could avoid a lot of things. Yeah. Because a lot of people will say, well, the mom said they don't act like that at home. And they probably don't. Right. That That's just the reality. They probably don't because the expectations are different. The setting is different. But if I can somehow, I can't recreate that completely. I get it. And I know, and like you said, everyone doesn't have my same mindset. They don't. And I hear people, I've got there. I had 40. I had 40 eighth graders at a time. I had groups of 60 even at a time. And I did it. <laughs> um, you know, I did. I was able wow. to. 
And I still have those same kids reach out to me, add me on Facebook and tell me how much I love them and how that love for them follow them. And they are 21 and 22 years old and getting married and having children of their own and all sorts of things. And they still, because I viewed them they were, they were my children Mm -hmm. and framing it like that allowed me to see beyond just the academics, but to be able to nurture their spirits, which in turn, they might've turned up in someone else's class, but I didn't have that same experience. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was able to get through the things that I needed to get through because I wasn't dealing with some of those same things. And I still held them accountable And I still taught my lessons, but it's all in a lot of it, just like I talk about when I talk about conscious discipline and all those things, Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with shifting the mindset. Yeah. Major shifting, major that, That is, that is, it has to be a transformative type of shift in how you view children, um, for you to be. We recently recorded about the idea of like parents being to blame. And I also think like, we we tend to work on the assumption that parents don't want to be with their kids, but there are plenty of parents. Like I am now a homeschool parent and, and some variation. Um, I never would have ever thought I'd be here. I, I still kind of hesitate and cringe when I say it out loud to certain people. Like, but I didn't want to be here because I was so desperate. Like you said, we have such a childcare crisis. I was so desperate through those early years, like I was just surviving. And so like, I needed that breath of like, send them to kindergarten, reclaim a little of my own time, my own life. But what if we could structure everything differently? And, and so to create that into, I think when you're thinking of yourself as an educator and a relationship and, and taking on that role of other mother, you're also like, realizing maybe that there is a parent who's stuck at work today, but they want to be with their kids, but they're trusting that you're there with their kids because you know better. Are you better equipped for this job? But it doesn't mean that they don't want to be there. They just feel like they can't. And so again, it's like a way of honoring and respecting the whole family by, by treating their kid like a human. Does a nice, I always view my job as a privilege not a right, not that these children were doing like I was doing them a favor. You know, I'm here, I'm doing you a favor. I'm up here and you're down here. Right, the higher I viewed it as a privilege. And I would say to them, you're, it's a privilege for me to be here. Someone trusted me enough to say that you were safe with me. Yeah. And Viewing it that way allows me to, and I'm not going to say, I am not Mary Poppins. I get angry. (laughs) I sometimes yell. And I think, you know, that's why a lot of people shy away from other mothers and SEL and conscious discipline, whatever name you want to put. But treating children like humans, a lot of people shy away from that simply because there's this idea that they've got to be Mary Poppins and they've got to have a sweet voice and they will never get angry. <laughs> um, to sing everything. <laughs> I've got to sing when I say, you know, and I do. You sing. don't have to be Mr. Chaz to yeah, do this you know, work. Sometimes <laughs> I sing when I'm talking because I don't want to yell and right. I will say this to kids, I feel like yelling. Yeah, so you find your own tricks of the reframe. And, and it's, it's it, not always easy. No, but 
that laughter kind of that silliness will shift that moment and then I'm able to kind of regulate and they're able to regulate and we're able to come back and work through the problem yeah through whatever is frustrating them but again it's that modeling in the moment you know I am angry. I am frustrated. So I am choosing to sing because I don't want to yell. I don't like to yell. And the kids talk, we talk about that all the time. I think I yelled one day and they said, well, you said you don't like yelling. (laughs) It's our professional duty to figure out what we need to access that, right? Like, and it's going to go, it's going to go up and down based on our own lives and our own mitigating factors outside of us. But like Playvolution HQ, who puts out this podcast, PlayVolutionHQ.com is a great place to find some professional development, some videos, some resources. Like it's not, it's for a lot of us, it doesn't just happen easily. Like I didn't have models of super patient adults always Mm -hmm. growing up. Like my teachers didn't want to hear from me more than what they were like, you know, allowing in this little narrow window. Like, but I had to learn because I didn't want to approach it the same way. And so, you know, like, are you finding the accounts? There's these days, especially with social media, there's so much free content, like use Latoya Nelson's raising resilient, beautiful Instagram posts as journal prompts. If that helps you like access it, do the work to be this caring individual. Yes. And that is literally my concept. If I can shift my thinking from viewing these children as someone else's responsibility and not my own, but I can view myself as the other parent, the other caretaker, mm-hmm. how can I shift that um, and and make it work in my classroom where I'm not just adding one more thing? It's You're not adding anything. You're just shifting your mindset. You're not having to add another curriculum to do. You're not having to add one more task to your list because all you're doing is freeing up some of your time. You're going to get back a lot of your time because you're shifting your mindset, and which then shifts the energy of the room because we we do control so much energy in that space, you know, which then buys back some of your time. Um and I mean, it's a wild concept. I'm sure there's someone out there like, yeah, whatever. I'm not doing that. It's too <laughs> well, I feel like it's a mic drop moment. I mean, thank you, Latoya. This is like hopefully blowing somebody's mind and other people are just like nodding along like, yes, this is what I've been doing. Because I know there are some really loud voices and and prevalent faces on the internet or wherever in these spaces doing this work, but there's also tons of people quietly doing this work, looking for no recognition who just know. Absolutely. And I know there are good teachers, Mm -hmm. you know, in spite of what we see online, in spite of, like you said, the louder voices, whoever, whatever gets to traction, you know, because the algorithm just does what it does. <laughs> um, I know that there are wonderful people out there yeah. who are giving their time, who are giving their all and who just need support. And I mean it in in the most sincerest, authentic way. If you need it, I always answer my DMs. Uh, I, I do. I always answer. I will 
talk to you anytime. I'm always up anyway. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I will talk to you. I will guide you. I, I value children that much. I do. I value this work that mm-hmm. much. It's so important to me because I know how spirit broken I was as a kid. And I don't think the adults in my life did it intentionally, but whether intentional or not, the impact. Mm -hmm. I always say impact over intent. You may not have intended to, but that was the impact. And so I think it's really important um, that I can share whatever knowledge, whatever thoughts, ideas, whatever I have. I, I don't consider myself an expert I'm always growing evolving learning but I'm always willing to to talk through it mm-hmm. thank you thank you thank you LaToya find LaToya at the attuned community and at raising underscore underscore resilience um and go straight to her dms if you want more info or more support thank you so much for always being willing to share with us latoya and joining us on out of line as a frequent guest host you're so valued here too thank you all for listening check out playevolutionhq.com if you need more resources i even have a coupon code out of line ool um, at the checkout i think gets you 10 percent off so why not why not go find yourself some professional development or personal development for that matter. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. LaToya, thank you for being here. Have a great day. (laughs) Bye-bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.